Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello, um, and welcome. Um, my guest this month is a writer, performer, and provocateur. Um, she describes her work as wrestling with female Jewish and queer identities and their intersections. She also has some of the best ever titles. I particularly like her Margaret Thatcher inspired show, The Ladies Not For Walking Like An Egyptian, which is one of my favorite titles of all time. She's also very funny. Welcome Rachel Mars. Thanks for having me. Not at all. It's always fun to have your own words read back at you, isn't it? Well, they're very good. I like lots of your <laughs> words. I'll be quoting a lot of your words back at you. They're very, um, um, and you don't even have to appear like a slippery politician. You can embrace and own them. I can. I can say yes. Yes, I wrote um, that and I meant it. Now, I, I have to say for the listeners' benefit, there is a connection uh, between you and Tolbo Nick, which goes some way back. So really? far back, I couldn't quite remember the actual year, but you brilliantly worked for us in a kind of uh, administration producing capacity when we had offices at Battersea Arts Centre. Yes, I, I can check. I was like on my bicycle yesterday, not in the rain, trying to figure out the exact connection. And I have got there. Oh, yeah, go interested. on. So I went to Leeds University. Yeah. And you came and did... I think a work like a clown workshop or a, yes. a sort of comedia workshop yeah. and I am we'd been to see you as a as a like cohort as a class the night before see this is where it gets a little bit hazy yeah perhaps in Sheffield yeah it wasn't in Leeds yeah, it wasn't uh, in Leeds uh, I think in that time we did a lot of shows at Sheffield Crucible it would have been there yeah, yeah. so I think it would have been there um and the show was very good. I can't remember what it was. We can try and work out that. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, this is really good. I like this. Uh, this is the sort of thing that I want to be around. And so then when I when I graduated, I was fortunate because my parents lived in Acton. Still do. Um, and so I was one of those people that could do a bit of work for free. And so I went knocking on, the, literally came knocking on the door at Battery Arts Centre um, and met Gislaine who was producing for you then and just said I could can I come and figure out how you're running this company um and so then that was it really and then apples and snakes the performance poetry people were next door and she was like they actually could pay so I split <laughs> my week <laughs> yes. so I, split, I split my week no that's and did, I, I'm glad no. you found people who treated you properly Rachel <laughs> Times oh. have changed. Times have yeah. changed. Well, um, yeah, that's that. That is exactly. Do you remember what year it was? It must have been two thousand, either two thousand and two or be, the beginning of two thousand and three. I think it might even have been autumn of two thousand and two. Wow. Yes. Gosh, yeah. that is. Anyway, let's not dwell on the past. We will dwell on the past. <laughs> no, your we're past. So young. Your past <laughs> in particular, shortly. But I was interested when uh, you how you that brief description of your work and what interests you and this is kind of connected I suppose and maybe I, I don't know what your thoughts are around this because I on holiday I was reading this book about Mike Nichols the, the uh, American director and improviser and and of course he was talking a lot of the time about being Jewish and what that meant in relation to his 
everything and, yeah. and humor in particular. And I was just intrigued by where your humor comes from or your yeah. sense of comedy. What can you trace that back to or who can you trace it back to? I can trace it back really clearly to dinner times. Okay. Basically, just because, and, and the first, my partner is coughing in the background. I'm being heckled in my That's own right. house. That's all right. <laughs> um, uh, have you got something to add? No, apparently not. Um, yeah, so dinner times, because it was a joke. It was just a joke and storytelling family. It wasn't like, there was only four of us. Um, but it was really about like my dad had four brothers and they used to gag tell I think together and they got up to all sorts they lived in Blackpool and they were just naughty and got up to all sorts so there was constant like retelling of their stories from childhood which had gag punchlines and then there was just actual jokes like a lot of actual Jewish jokes and then I got um oh what's the uh by the each peach pear plum people there's like a there's like a starter joke book that I constantly give to my friends' kids now, um, <laughs> which I will remember shortly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and it's it's the kind of classic joke. It's 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 a skinny one, um, and I just got obsessed with jokes from that point. And then kind of every year would get one of those like one thousand and one jokes for kids, five thousand and one jokes <laughs> for kids, ten thousand until they got like they get like sort of yellow pages, um, <laughs> and was obs absolutely obsessed with them. And then the the sort of major joke book which I still love is is a Leo Rosten joke okay. book so he's he's like um he's dead now but his his sort of he's known for this book called the joys of Yiddish uh, American like or, or British American okay. yeah Jewish American kind of Yiddish yep. storytelling guy um but he just had a book called Leo Rosten's book of laughter and I just it was like an insight I sort of memorized it and then would sometimes look at the punchline first and try and work back so it became this kind of like Quite is this analytical. you as a child deconstructing this? is me uh, to early teens, I think. Okay. Trying to like figure out why it was, f why it was funny. And, and really got obsessed with the, the, <laughs> the, the like minutia, the, like, the number of beats. Yeah. Because I get so annoyed because my mum can't tell jokes <laughs> uh, at all. And I get so annoyed with her if she, I was like, you can't, no, you can't have the, words of the punchline in the setup that. <laughs> like that's not that's ruining it um and like oh no that's you've put too many one too many syllables in that so it's not gonna pay off in the same way so yeah it just became like completely obsessed with the kind of mechan like the mechanical structures of gags from, i'm gonna have to can you get hold of this book you just mentioned yeah this? you yeah. you can and it starts with this like, preface um, which is itself hilarious called like i don't know 37 ways not to tell a joke okay um which okay, so is it's yeah and it's it's really like it's talmudic that's the other thing because it's like it's really goes in hard on kind of so and so he says it's like this and so and so says you should do this but i say so it's always like judaism has this like constant analysis and discussion of things and no answer is ever right until someone declares that they're the one with the right answer um, <laughs> and it's so it's, that, it's that approach yeah. to the jokes to the gags yeah, I think so. He's always like, never say, <laughs> when you're starting a joke, never say, this man went to the doctor, because then we'll say, what man? You either have to say, a man, or Shlomo went to the, <laughs> so it's kind of, it's like, it's at this like molecular level 
I think um, I'm going to enjoy that very much. So thank you for that recommendation. What about as a family? Was there a tradition of going to see performance when you were young? I was really lucky and I've actually thanked my parents for this recently because because they I'm trying to think if they as children because they were like working class people, one in Blackpool, one in Nottingham. And I think they might have gone to Panto yeah. like every year. My dad, maybe because he was Blackpool, might have gone to more sort of peer entertainment. In fact, I think he did. And I remember him saying that he took himself off to see Billy Connolly when he was a folk performer. Wow. Before he was wow. doing comedy. So I think there's, and I don't know where that comes from, actually, in his family. But that was, I was uh, given that opportunity by them. So we would go, and also because we were in London, so I was lucky. Yeah. So we'd go to Panto um, and we'd go to... Yeah, we we go to the theatre. I, really, I got taken out of um, quite a few things because I found them must upsetting. <laughs> what sort of was... things were you seeing? I'm intrigued. <laughs> Bloodletting for children. <laughs> no, um, what was I? Um, uh, Peter Pan. I remember being taken out of Peter Pan at huh? the barbecue. What did you find was... upsetting about that? I think the, like, anything to do with grief and loss. Okay. Anything to do with separation. Okay. Holocaust family. Of course. We can trace that back quite quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just couldn't cope with it. You weren't he... offended by any of the delivery of the jokes. It wasn't that. <laughs> <good>. <laughs> a four year old. I'm out. I'm out. They started you can't this possibly, <laughs> You can't possibly have that in your joke. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I was really lucky. I was really lucky. And at that point, we didn't have a, you know, well, we had a Tory government, but they were still letting people go to the, go to the theatre in schools. And so. Um, so could you you don't have to identify this but was there a point when you started to think oh I'd like to perform yeah I think um <laughs> there was uh I'm laughing because I was at a school where they had like head girls and things like that yeah and I was one of I was a deputy head girl and I ah. wasn't allowed to be a head girl because I was deemed to be a loose cannon ah which was correct um <laughs> you and... proved that correct <laughs> that much we know um and and i think with that came like doing assemblies or something yeah, yeah. and i remember we had to do an assembly for harvest festival and um we wrote we pretended that we'd found this like a sort of story about i don't like a bit like wind in the willows a story about shrews frolicking um <laughs> and we hadn't and we'd written it and but we pretended that it was like you know a canonical. lost text <laughs> and i think that's when i thought this is great like this is this is really fun and and the kind of listening to the audience that you have to do um, and sort of i guess it was like the translation of um, the molecular study of jokes on paper and delivery, but then actually having an audience and going, oh, hang on, if I put an extra pause in here, it doesn't work. But if I cut it, it does. So, so I think it was, I was probably about 16, maybe. And also it's interesting because it wasn't just a performative thing. You, you obviously wrote something. Was that with someone else, with your friends? or That was, yeah, that was with <laughs> the two other uh, head girl people who were also I mean none of us should have been in those positions <laughs> did you ever come clean about this not being a lost no. text and no now it's <laughs> out there people might feel people might feel cheated, people feel cheated. that they believed in this yeah but then I didn't write then I didn't write sort of through university not 
Where really. did you go was, to university, Rachel? So at Leeds. It, Leeds of course you did. Um, and what yeah. were you doing theatre? So I was doing English and theatre. It was like a joint thing. Um, but, and lots of amazing theatre makers have come out of that course. So yeah. like Chris Thorpe is out of that performer called Lucy Ellenson. Um, yeah. Dan, but like lots of extraordinary people. But the fo- it was really quite an academic focus. It wasn't a training. The most practical things we did were things like when you came yeah. and did and did workshops um but it it was it was absolutely not it was not really a training so you you did a bit of performance through it but it was it was mainly kind of like um i don't know study which which i liked because i quite like that approach to performance and what 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 kind of did you what were you seeing that was inspiring you when you were at leeds so yeah so it was that sort of period of you yeah um people ridiculous like ridiculous must yeah ridiculous yeah. must people like us only things that end with us <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> it was that period um i'm trying to think so like yeah it's kind of devised uh quite physical comedic stuff was the stuff that i was going oh hello um a company called theater O. Who yes i remember yeah. theater O. yeah joseph yeah. um yeah that sort of thing so it was it was that world and that was I, I I sort of funny but also doing stuff with form yeah um those sort of things were really really inspiring and when yeah. you when you were there were you because I'm interested in I'll come to this in a second but the the times that you create alone and the times when you collaborate yeah and was that a time of collaboration yeah Yeah. it was it was it was collaborative and I remember we did this sort of leaving projects that were already collaborative and that's when I was like oh this is a really interesting it would kind of gave me permission to write because I didn't feel like I could write on my own at that point but if you were kind of devising together and ending up with the text then it felt like it's interesting isn't it I mean we've had this you know debate internally and externally for like 29 years about what is writing and and I can totally relate to what you're saying, that somehow I always felt a slight imposter syndrome around being a writer because I didn't write a play. Yeah. And, and often I was writing through physical action or through improv on the floor and kept. And this chimed with the Mike Nichols thing I read as well. And he was doing all his improvising that somehow it's not writing in the same way. And it took a long time for me to own that and say, no, I, this is writing. It's just a yeah. different form of writing. So I can totally relate to that. That it, I, I always felt, oh, I can't call myself a writer. I've got to be part of something else that isn't quite that. And that, and that, I, that feels like a kind of Brit- like a horrible British fallout of Shakespeare. <laughs> Thank yeah. You. yeah. Like I the kind so. of male author thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, I, I wrote Ha Ha a play. Oh, yeah. Um, in lockdown it was like the first time I'd sat down on my own and been quiet and tried to write a play with characters I'd never done that before wow. and I just thought this is appalling this shouldn't be allowed like this is <laughs> dictatorial it's like a worldview that I don't like the process of it creates this worldview that I abhor of like one person creating yeah, yeah, a world yeah. and yeah. pretending that they've made loads of people no you haven't they're all just from your head um and, and so I I was like oh yeah this is like, of course, in lockdown, there were different ways of making, but I did suddenly go, no, there's a reason that we've all been making collaboratively. And it's because it's, it's you know, socialist yeah, <laughs> and healthy and feminist yeah, and all those yeah, things. And, and democratic. Yes. No, I, yeah. I, I agree. And I think, I mean, I've always been suspicious of 
the notion of a singular imagination as well. I think that certainly at the idiots, we've always embraced and thrived off the notion of a very eclectic mix of, yeah. of imaginations that that might be shaped in particular ways by particular people, but the voices are all there. And that eclectic thing brings me to the notion of your influences, because I'm even though our work is very different, you make very different work than we do. I think there is a real connection through the eclectic nature of, uh, of what we're influenced by, because we're often drawn yeah. to things where we mix Gunter Grass with Bugs Bunny in yeah. the same show. And, and looking at your list of uh, influences from Morecambe and Wise, Hannah Gadsby, the Gob Squad, Bobby Baker, they're an extraordinary mix. Um, do you, yeah. when you say influence, do you find you go back to these people a lot when you're making yeah. stuff? I think I do, uh, like especially more common wise. Yeah. Because again, it's kind of back to the the elegance of those rhythms, um, and yeah, more common wise and the two Ronnies. When I was doing, when I was working with Nat Tarab as a partnership, yeah. we'd often watch the two Ronnies. Um, but also that, as you say, that the, the rhythmic nature of the two Ronnies is extraordinary in terms of yeah. what you're saying about beats and the precision of what that is. It, it, it's true, and I remember briefly 20 odd years ago I took over in the play what I wrote in the West End and I remember Hamish one of the performers saying to me you've got to really really learn this before we start mm. rehearsals and I kind of went yeah yeah yeah." he said no 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 really really learn it and he was so adamant that I because... spent, I've never learned anything so well and of course he was absolutely right because every nuance and every beat of that show which was basically Morecambe and Wise as a kind of yeah couldn't be in any way slightly vague it had to be mm. absolutely and of course there was an immense freedom in that once I'd learned it of course there was but I can see why you return to those things yeah, yeah. there's a there's a kind of there's a discipline to them because I'm definitely one for like sort of know it yeah <laughs> that used to get me that used to get me in trouble with Nat because Nat Tarab who um we made work for so long together like she is she's a stickler for learn she's a stickler for everything which yeah. is why I work with her because I'm very broad brush strokes yeah. <laughs> well that's everyone. a good you compliment each other obviously yeah, it was good she's very I don't strict. think in any double act there's room for two sticklers there can't be because no, there can only be one stickler yeah and it was her <laughs> and so she'd learn like to the to the letter um and I would have a rough estimation and she'd be always furious because we'd, it was a kind of, it was a kind of classic, you know, straight. She was the sort of straight man in many ways. Also, she's six foot tall. Like she's very tall. And Perfect already, physical contrast is good. Great. But she'd, she'd always be slightly furious that I would get away with it, that I'd kind of roughly know it and get out on stage and, and get away with it. But I was just loving being live. Yeah. No, it's and so an interesting kind of, thing. And I can yeah. think of, other people and sometimes it drives other performers up the wall I mean you mentioned people like us and uh, a man who's worked with us a lot as a genius clan is Javier Marthan and, yeah, and Javier has a very tangential relationship to any kind of structure and you have to embrace that but when I've heard people say we work with Javier and he was a nightmare and I thought well you clearly have tried to control him and there's no point yeah. in if you're going to work with him you've got to give him free reign otherwise he's going to drive he will drive you mad yeah um, so yeah. I, I think that tension, it was actually Javier who said, for me, the best ever description of what acting is. Javier said, acting is giving a and not giving a 
at the same time. Yes. And I think for all the books you can read or the drama schools, <laughs> I think that is basically it, isn't it? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And that's... Any type of performing. Yeah, it has it. You can't, because you can't do it if you don't give a yeah. And if you give too much of a can't do it. Because exactly. you're just trapped. So that's um, the tension that we're... Um, what that would about... save a lot of people money on drama school. Yeah. Exactly. Save them a fortune, <laughs> all those expensive MAs. Um, what about... Uh, uh, we mentioned Walk and Wise, two runners. What about women who've made you laugh? Yeah. I mean, I was watching uh, French and Saunders yep. uh, VHSs to yes. age me, although I've already aged myself by saying when I graduated. <laughs> um, obsessively. Uh, obsessively. Yeah. Um, and then the kind of in-person, the kind of real in-person switch that happened for me was this week with Stacey McKeishi, yeah. who was um, working with Apples and Snakes. So she's a, a Hawaiian sort of I think she described herself as a performance artist but Apples and Snakes were this uh, performance poetry organization I'd been working with and like you know very inspired by a lot of the performers I was seeing but there was this kind of wing of them who seemed to cross over into something else so sort of she was one of them um, curious so Helen Paris and Leslie Hill and I was like what is what is this because they seem to be working with props they're working with music they're working with physicality. I don't know what this is. And it turned out that that was the kind of edges of performance art. Yeah. Um, and so I did a, a week's workshop with her and just, and actually met Nat there back in Leeds. And so she was a, she, for, I think for so many people, if you scratch the kind of performance art weirdos a little bit, they've all been taught by her at some wow. point because wow. she just gives people the kind of confidence and the, the skills to just go and make and not feel that, you know that they need to like study and study and study before they do it and also that 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 sense of making and not knowing i think is really important because we still predominantly because we we have a literary culture still very much in our theater which is deadening yeah. um it, it's all about knowing and and i think it's really crucial that you can find a place to go i don't know i'm yeah. going to do this i have no idea <laughs> The idea of like going into a rehearsal room with a script at the beginning. I know, it's weird, is isn't it? So weird. I mean, like, I get it, sure. Yeah. But, but wow, you've got three weeks and you already know the script. Okay. No, no it's um... nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> Reassuring totally sometimes. Um, yeah. Um... But yeah, so lots of, lots of women. And then kind of Joan Rivers yeah. and the kind of like those people, um, Lily Tomlin, a lot yeah. of America. I mean, a lot of America. Sarah Bernhardt. Not yeah, Sarah Bernhardt, um, Sandra Bernhardt. Sarah Sandra Bernhardt, Bernhardt. Is Edwardian actor. But... Yeah, I didn't know her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's not on YouTube. No. Um, yeah, she's very much so. Because um, I remember so... seeing Sandra Bernhardt for the first time. I didn't know who she was. When she gives that extraordinary performance in the film King of Comedy. Yes. And I just Amazing. thought, who is this? And I didn't yeah. know her as a stand-up or anything, really. That's the first encounter with her. An yeah. extraordinary... Um, performer and it felt incredibly uh not just charismatic but very audacious which brings me to my next point i was very intrigued about the a workshop you did around discovering your own audaciousness or something oh yeah what what is that <laughs> so that is um came so i have these kind of i'm a bit like uh polyamorous in my yeah. in my affection my theater affection so i have these kind of different sometimes like i was saying sometimes i work on my own sometimes i work in partnership and um I have a long ongoing partnership with an artist called Greg Wohead mm -hmm. and we made a show which is to date the naughtiest thing we've, I've ever done <laughs> um, 
called story number one which we could only we could only be this naughty because it wasn't funded it was just us being like let's yeah. do this once um where an audience it's two and a bit hours long um the audience come in the first nearly full hour is an entire episode of come dine with me um <laughs> which we're just we're just screening we're not there so this kind of cooking competition people don't know it um, the second bit of it is that we've written fan fiction. We we do actually finally come on. And we've written sort of fan fiction for each of the characters in Come Down With Me. And then the third part is these series of emails and letters that we've seemingly written, or maybe we have, maybe we haven't, to reach out to these real people to ask them to come on stage with us. And we tracked them down and we went to one of the competitors runs a children's farm. And so we went and... You know, wow, you actually him. tracked so, them down. <laughs> yeah. So it's this kind of thing about the real and the not real and yeah. inviting people to spend some time with people on telly and then have like, you know, the kind of areas of consent around imagination when you're taking people into kind of graphic porno kind of fan fiction. <laughs> anyway, this is a, and then being like, oh, by the way, he's coming. He's coming. He's off stage and he's coming and what that does to people's inside. So it's very naughty. It's like formally really naughty. Um, and so then we, and the, the language we kept using was audacious, which is interesting that you mentioned it with regard to Sandra Like, and, and so then we did this workshop with people, which was, what is, what is your version of audaciousness? Mm. Because actually, for some, for me, actually, maybe writing a play is audacious. That's what I was about to say. I think audacious, to being audacious is not necessarily to shock. Isn't that no, a shocking thing? So maybe, it's like you not. say, you writing a play in lockdown was maybe quite audacious because we wouldn't expect that. No, and I wouldn't expect it of myself. And so it was a workshop where we were on the kind of banks of this loch in Glasgow with different performers, and they were really spending time with what audaciousness meant in society, yeah. what it meant to them in terms of their back catalogue. So it was people that had made work before. And what would really, like, they would wake up the next day and be shocked to find that they had made this piece of work. <laughs> um, and it was, it's really, it's a nice way of working. Yeah, it, I, it, I, I, it really struck me and I was quite intrigued on your website. I also, on a side note, I like the debate that you had about whether you had alcohol or mobile phones. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> on this retreat. Exactly. Yeah. I thought that in itself. Um, I mentioned earlier your brilliant titles. I'm very, very... Uh, um, again, probably a stickler uh, for titles. I think they're very important and they're very important to us. And people often say, oh, that's a very idiot title. But we've often had, uh, not arguments, but we've had debates with producers and venues around titles. So I remember which... you saying, so was it the horse and the horse? Well, this was the Tell one. Tell me this story again. Yeah, that was the one where the, 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 we were doing this show about political acts of political violence. And there were an eclectic mix of things from Bugs Bunny to Gunter Grasper. And we stumbled on a joke in different forms that we really liked, which in a way was uh, about someone saying F you. Well, basically, it was about a cowboy saying F you to the Lone Ranger, F you and the horse you rode in on. Right. So we thought that's a brilliant title. And I sensed immediately our then producer was uneasy with the title. And I just knew it. So again, maybe a bit pervert. I just thought cheekily, I'm going to carry on with it. And then eventually it came out and said, I, I, I'm not sure you, we can have a title that begins with the word and. And I was like, I literally went, what? 
do you mean no you can't have a time and then these marketing people who were paid lots of money went yes that's right you can't have a title that begins with that i said where is this where is this written down (laughs) but lots of people get so was the suggestion that people would feel that they'd missed something maybe maybe what that's such an odd rule but it was more it was more alarming the amount of very professional people with high-paid jobs said no you can't have that it's wild. really weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's wild. Anyway, I, I I hope you continue with your audacious titles because they're uh, they're rather yeah, brilliant. I've gone I've gone quite singular recently. I've gone on a single word. I think it's time to go long again. Yeah, long's good. Uh, we just made yeah. a show called "Would You Bet Against Us," which was um, oh, that's a great, which title. was uh, inspired by the greatest ever achievement of my football team, uh, and the parallel narrative of my foolhardy attempts to make it from a council house in Birmingham into the world of show business. So the two events <laughs> coincided. But we liked Would You Bet Against Us, yeah, that's a great uh, which was a quote. But um, but also, I don't know with this, because obviously your work is very personal as well, and, and often our work is. But I'm always fascinated by what an audience accepts. So we did a show called My Perfect Mind a few years ago with myself and an old actor, Edward Pefferbridge. Mm-hmm. And there is a point towards the beginning of the show where I say to the audience, um, Everything you're about to see is absolutely true. And the amount of people afterwards who came up to me in the bar and said, really enjoyed the show. So were you really in that bad production of the American musical with Edward? I said, yes, I told you it was true. Oh, did you really? And it was really interesting because we stood on stage and I said it. Yeah. They immediately weren't sure. And but I think this is I was just having this conversation the other day with Greg which is if you seem, which is slightly different from what you do, although maybe not with these ones where you're talking about that it's personal experience. But if you seem to be Rachel Mars or Paul Hunter or whatever, talking on stage and it seems to have an eye voice to it, people uh, immediately, uh, maybe if you don't say this is all true, people will immediately assume that it's 100% true and then if they find out that it isn't they get very affronted yeah and you kind of go it's theatre like what but it's 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 the I think it's the eye voice yeah I think Um, you're probably right but uh, I mean another example from the same show is Edward who was uh, 80 years old and, and extraordinary performer but he injured himself slightly so we had to change the show quite a lot uh and then we held the audience outside at the Young Vic and I went on and made an announcement at the beginning to say sorry for the delay, but one of the actors has suffered an injury. There's only two of us in it, so I didn't yeah. say who it was. Um, uh, we had to change some stuff. I hope you enjoy the show. So we did the whole show, and several people came up to me in the bar and said, really love the show. I love the bit where you came on at the beginning and said, I said, it's happened. I tried to say it as neutrally and as honestly as I could. But because of what followed that announcement, they assumed, oh, that's part of the show. It's a thing. It's a bit. It's, it's a, a bit. bit. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, I mean, I don't, uh, you can't escape it. I, I don't think we can escape it. No. This kind of question no. of fact and fiction all the time. So then it's just a question of how you play with it, really. Yeah. And that's the um, joy of it, isn't it? The, the, yeah. You know, the joy of, I often say when I'm sort of talking about those type, our type of shows that we don't always do them, but those shows that sit in that place. I have no interest in everything being true. That no. It's just a jumping off point. So in that show, Edward, we had a scene when he was a child at a talent competition. And uh, we were going to stage that idea and I was the compere. And in real life, he didn't win. 
And myself and Catherine Hunter, the director, said, well, you've got to win in our show. Yeah. There's no way you can come third behind the girl playing the violin. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but the great thing was, the audience, of course, loved it when Edward won. Yeah. But Edward really didn't like the fact that we didn't. So we over the applause, it. over the applause, you could hear him going, it's not true. I didn't. Really, I didn't really. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, that's like, he's British, right? Yeah, it's very English. Can you imagine in America people being like, just so you know, I didn't win. Exactly. It's such an no. English thing, isn't it? <laughs> I don't want to claim a win that isn't mine. Exactly. That's I'm not very... comfortable with that. I wanted to come back, if I may, to the comedy thing. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I suppose the Jewish thing comes back to Mike Nichols. And I was just looking at this quote. He was doing an interview again that I'd read. And he said, um, he was talking about how he wished sometimes that Jewish people could poke themselves a bit more in the ribs. And he went on to say, uh, you know what the problem is, among many other things, correctness. Correctness was such a blight on humour and the truth. One of the joys of the producers was that every possible correct position was exploded and you just sat there howling and grateful. It was the death of correctness in a way. Interesting. I would disagree with him. No, that's why um, I'm interested. That's why I wanted to get your view on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with him about the producers. No. He's bang on. That's yeah. what it's doing. I would say right now, all the Jews I know are busy whacking themselves super hard in the guts. Yeah. And and sort of, I don't know, I was going to say, and have ever been. So I'm interested that he thinks that sort of we, whatever that means, modern yeah, yeah, Jews, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't. Because I think that's the the... Jewish joke is always that the Jew is the schmuck. That's the, that's the feeling I get when I look at that tradition going right back. Always. And like my favourite, <laughs> I won't do the whole thing. No, no, my, my favorite, like one of my favourite gags is a Holocaust era gag about a guy who's a um, Jewish old man who's digging the road for punishment and um, a gorgeous huge Volkswagen pulls up and Hitler and his guards get out and Hitler comes over with the guards and the guards point the gun at this old guy and uh, point to a cow pat and says Jew eat eat the cow pat and so otherwise we'll shoot you and so he has to and then later that night he goes home and his wife says how was your day and he says you'll never guess who I had lunch with <laughs> and it's <not> like... <laughs> And like, uh, like it's a, I, maybe that's not poking yourself in the gut. Maybe that is making you the victor of a terrible situation. It's an interesting line, isn't it, between what's poking, a, what's like poking yourself in the gut, and what's making you the victor yeah, of something terrible. It's a great. It is a brilliant gag, and a and a perfect place to draw this all too brief conversation to an end. Rachel, it's been such a pleasure. Before we go. I'm yeah. going to ask you seven quick fire questions. Okay. You don't need to think about it. You just, your first response. If you don't understand anything, still your first response is fine. You'll right. understand all of this. New York or LA? New York, a hundred times. Um, Morecambe and Wise or Tommy Cooper? Morecambe and Wise. Uh, red wine or a mobile phone? Ooh, sadly, a mobile phone. Oh, and I, hate that what, that, I hate what that <laughs> make, reveals about me. Um, there we are. Mastermind or University Challenge? Mastermind. Going back to 90s comedy, Green Room or Smack the Pony? Smack the Pony. Uh, Frida Kahlo or Paula Rago? Paula Rago. Pool or darts? Pool. 
uh, writing or performing? Well, I hate that one. <laughs> can that you be can, my response? You can, <laughs> you, can, you, you can say both. No, I can't say both. Uh, writing or performing? I maybe at the moment writing because of the pandemic. Yeah. If you asked me three years ago, not that. Yeah, and it will change again. Rachel, yeah. it's been so lovely talking to you and brilliantly insightful and entertaining as ever. That joke has made my day. Um, I will look up the, what's the name of the book I need to get? Um, you need to read Leo Rosten's Book of Laughter, R-O-S-T-E-N. Leo Rosten's book, okay, brilliant. Thanks, Rachel, have a good day. Thanks for having me, ta Bye. Take care. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this idiot podcast, please spread the word 